0: Okay, I have a question for you all. How long does it take you to return an email once it arrives in your inbox? Come on, a minute, 30 seconds. From corresponding with so many of you, possibly every one of you in the last month or so, I can attest to the fact that many of us spend our days not very far from our computers, whether we're editing or administrating, sending emails, wasting time, we're there. The undeniable truth is that computers are and have been really altering the rhythms of our lives almost unquantifiably. And so it's also true that they're changing our relationship to and with radio and audio work in general. We couldn't really imagine having a conference without talking about the hows and the ways and the whys and especially the wheres this is happening. A conversation about radio and other sounds accessed, edited, shared, and or created through computers so here to guide us along through this digital territory is Melissa Giroux, co-creator of Along for the Ride, NPR's first program conceived as equal parts radio and web show.
1: Thank you. Take it away. Can you hear me, everyone? I can hear myself. Hi. Good to be here. It's, it's wonderful to, um, again, I, I want to repeat what everyone else has said about uh, being here, the love we're feeling here <laughs> in, in this indie and uh, and not in the public radio community, and about having it in Chicago as well. I personally started listening to uh, public radio not very long ago, in, I think it was in 93 or 92, and I was living in Chicago at the time, and I thought, wow, every station must be like WBEZ. This is so cool, and I learned moving around that that wasn't true. I mean, th- they're cool stations, but they're not all like BEZ, and uh, also in doing my Along for the Ride program that I'll tell you more about. It was at WBEZ, it was Tori Malatia who agreed to pilot our one hour shows, which is how Along for the Ride started. So uh, we owe you lots for that. Um, Before we start and before I introduce the panelists who probably don't need much introduction, um, I'd like to ask you all a question which is how many of you have listened to audio on the web in the past week? Raise your hand. Whoa. Wow, that's much better than I thought. Wow.
2: <laughs>
1: wow. Okay, how many have never listened to audio on the web? Okay. There's one brave, honest. How many have
3: never listened to the radio?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, The panelists here have very – we want this to be a discussion, an informal discussion, because I know that a lot of you actually have very different and uh, numerous web and radio experiences that can feed into this discussion. So please feel free to interrupt and join at any time. Um, We have very different experiences in – terms of our, the, the kinds of websites we've created and the relationships that, that uh, those websites have to radio. Um, all of us, though, started in radio and just, and tried to create sites that would uh, serve the public radio community better, websites that would. So uh, to my left, Elizabeth Meister, who w- created the uh, This American Life website a long time ago, and it's become, Elizabeth was worried that there wouldn't be much for her to talk about because her site has become such a standard, I think, sort of a public radio industry standard. We all, A lot of us rip it off all the time. So we've all seen it, and we don't – there's almost nothing to say, but, of course, that's never true. Elizabeth?
2: Did I already do it? <laughs> Maybe I'm all done. First, actually, while, while many people have been thanking Julie and Johanna for their wonderful work, which I'd like to second that, I'd also like to thank – Melissa, for bringing these toys up here, which are available, I think, after.
1: Yeah, there aren't so many left, but the they are available. available and and they
2: now I have something to distract myself with my <laughs> nervousness. But um, uh, I've been doing the, the This American Life site for, I think, about four years now. I started as a volunteer, and I cut, I cut a deal, actually, with Ira Glass. I, I was working at the telephone company at the time and really wanted to do public radio, i had been listening to public radio and was really interested and had actually studied radio in college and had gotten away from it. So I cut a deal that I would do the website as a volunteer if he would let me spy on production and um, learn to make radio, which I've also had the opportunity to to do over the last few years. But um, I created the site... um, mainly as a fan who was really interested in the show and wanted a repository of information um, about the show. And that's really what it's become. I had a lot of experience with um, music websites and music mailing lists and stuff before I came into This American Life. So it was sort of based on that model. It was based on what I had known as a music fan. And really, it's basically the same site now as it was back when I first built it. It's um, it's a library of all the shows that we've ever done with information rundowns and such on all those shows. And there's a little news component and a place for people to chat about the show, thanks to Jay, Allison, and Transom. We just moved our bulletin boards over to Transom about two weeks ago, and they've been doing really well. And um, that's about it. It's just it's a place to go to find out everything you'd ever want to know about This American Life and to listen to shows anytime and anywhere
1: Again, my name is Melissa Juro, and I started at NPR um, as an editorial assistant on a show called Anthem, uh, which was short-lived, but which was a great place to learn lots of stuff from amazing people. And on that show, I was not only the editorial assistant, but the web person. So from the get-go, my first radio job, I was doing web stuff as well. Um, And along for the ride is... A concept that we got a lot of support for from our anthemites and from NPR um, that became a ultimately a radio series on Weekend All Things Considered and a web show with lots of web stuff. And it was conceived um, from the ground up as 50% radio in terms of effort put in, 50% web stuff. So there's a lot of web stuff on it.
2: Jay.
3: Uh, I'm Jay Allison. And um, let's see. Um, well, I'm a radio nut, but I'm also an Internet nut, and I, uh, I live in Woods Hole, Massachusetts, which is sort of far away from most other places. And uh, when in, in the late 80s, I got, uh, I got a Mac Plus, and I had a 1,200 baud modem, and uh, nobody had email, no, and uh, there was no Internet. And uh, I got on a place called The Well, which was um, out of Sausalito, put together by Stuart Brand and a bunch of kind of egghead nerd visionaries, uh, and uh, I became a host on the well. And I thought we could talk. I could talk about radio, you know, from Woods Hole. And what I what ended up happening was my oldest daughter got very very sick and you know uh, almost died had a tracheostomy. I was up all night with her all the time, and I would go to the well, and there was this rudimentary text. Computer conferencing system, and I would sit there and I would be up with Lily, and I'd be typing. I'd leave my little radio conference where I hosted, and nobody really was nobody was there, because uh, nobody really even knew the, it existed. But I'd go over to the parenting conference, and there were there were these parents, and they were in the West Coast time, so they were still awake, and uh, and I'd start posting and getting medical advice. And uh, and I started to realize this is this is a real thing. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's something genuine can happen here, and uh, I have ever since been exploring all kinds of ways that the internet and public radio can form a kind of circle of community and uh, and work within communities like my little town in Woods Hole and communities like all of America and the whole world, which is the really astonishing thing about the Internet. So what all my work now is to figure out how to get these two things to synergistically work together, how to get public radio more excited, to have it become more like the Internet, how to use the Internet to make public radio more exciting. And my goal now, and I've done this, and so I've you know gone on and had other conferences, and I do the Lift Serve for producers, and the host of that uh, for we got about three hundred and fifty producers, and then I started this website out of Woods Hole with Atlantic Public Media and some of the team here to uh, for other public radio zealots and people who want to get into it, and it turns out to be kind of a. It's, we call it a combination. Of, it's like a master class. It's uh, a showcase. It's an audition stage. It's uh, a toolbox, uh, and it's kind of and it's a hangout. And what's that noise? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and uh, and it's working really well. And I think the reason it works well is it doesn't depend on huge numbers. Doesn't depend on a great. Uh, 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 it's, it's more measuring the depth of experience than the breadth of experience. And the people who come there actually are affected by it. And they're kind of the center, a lot of these people. Some of the younger voices, we have a lot of older voices, our special guests, people like Studs Terkel. And it's creating these bridges within the world of public radio. And I get the sense it has the capacity to move the center a little bit. And if you, so the great, it doesn't have to move the whole world, it just has to move the center and then everything else around the edge will move too. And my hope is that by make, using the web this way, we can move all of public radio a little bit.
1: That's an interesting point about breadth rather than number of people because it seems that's uh, in the beginning or before the economic crash, we were all very excited, more excited maybe about the web and Jay more excited now, of course, but um, it a struggle, A challenge, one of the many challenges of moving from radio to web for me is, and I think for lots of programmer, pr- programmers, is to figure out um, how to evaluate whether you have a successful site, if not numbers. Um, Elizabeth, do you have any thoughts on that?
2: Well, we have it it really easy at This American Life because just just because the show is such a known quantity, we have people coming, and we we have documentation that there are a lot of people using the site and using our real audio, so we don't have necessarily the problems that some of the newer startup websites have in terms of getting funding. Mm -hmm. I I will say, though, that that my position is still only funded as a part-time position, Um, so even at a site which is relatively successful in in terms of the numbers of people that come and use what we have to offer, you know, there's still only enough money really to pay me part-time. And that does, much to my chagrin, limit what I can do on the site because I can only put so much time into it and I can't really get a group of people around me to help me get more content and put more interesting things up other than what is already produced for the show, which is basically anything you find on the site is, is most likely something that was already produced for the show. And just if it's if it's not a show itself, it's just something that ended up on the cutting room floor mm-hmm. that is left over that I can throw up on the website. So I'm not able to produce any new content or do anything mm-hmm. that radical.
1: Right. Um Jay, how do you your, – your site's been growing and uh, more and more it's, – it's got a lot of buzz on it. You can't measure buzz, unfortunately. Um, and I know you you have actual numbers on the site that sort of tally up how many people are posting, so that's been really interesting just to see um, how many people makes this community a community and I don't know whether your uh, feelings about that have changed as the site's grown
3: yeah I mean how do you measure success on a on, yeah. a, on a thing like this um, well, I think uh uh, I, I think in our case the bulletin boards are a good example of how you can kind of see community growing and uh and you know we uh we get you know great response from people who you know it's we all work in isolation and there, a conference like this I mean I think the success of a conference like this is that people kind of turn out uh to hang out together and uh, discover that people are thinking the same things. And in radio, we've always suffered, but there's no critical dialogue in radio. There are no no radio critics. Nobody writes about it. It's not a repeatable or or, uh, promotable phenomenon. And so there's no reason for a newspaper, say, to hire a reviewer, because how are you ever going to direct your audience to to the work in question? On the Internet, it's different the work can reside there. So I think one thing Transom's doing that's thrilling to me is developing a kind of critical dialogue about what we're doing and uh, and what we have done and a kind of sense of continuity. And, you know, finally, I think we make, I, I always make judgments by some sort of abstract notions of quality, of which I am the final right. uh, in for my own work. And uh, and I mean, all of us have to be that. I mean, you know, Robert Krulich was talking about that. I mean, finally, you're doing What you have to do in your success is whether you manage to pull that off or not. Mm -hmm. So,
1: um. That's one of my big fears is that I I love putting along for the ride together, and it's been a real labor of love. And my fear is that it's sort of a zine, you know, that that I'm doing it in a vacuum. And, of course, I get reaction and listeners write in great essays and um, take all our quizzes and do all that stuff. But it's still hard to evaluate, you know, who's being served and how and all that we should look at the, some of these sites, huh? Um, Elizabeth, do you want to show
2: me your site? Have you all seen my site? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not sure I really... We want
1: to talk about the challenges of um, putting audio on the web as opposed to radio. And, of course, the first thing that's true about keyboard audio is it's never just audio. It's text, it's graphics, it's interactive elements, it's more audio than maybe... Uh, you can put up uh, a broadcast on the radio. Um, so I'd like to talk a bit about, and anyone can join in um, about how it's different to do what you do storytelling on the web as opposed to your experience in radio.
3: Uh, um, how about this? I, uh, maybe we could play a little uh, we, uh, there are a bunch of people who uh, who've got, had pieces on Transom. Uh, here in the room, and I sort of corralled them outside and asked them maybe to talk about their experience, really, you know, I mean, really what the effect is on the people who are using the site and on young people coming up, and, you know, does it work? Because they can talk about that more effectively than I can in terms of standard of success. So what, maybe we could play a little excerpt and then look at the page. And then Josh Barlow, who's our web director, is here, and he can talk about the mechanism, if this is interesting to people, of getting all these parts in a box, photo and text, and, you know, and, the, and the sound itself, and how you make it live differently on the web or more usefully on the web uh, than, than it does just in, in radio. So this, this, is, uh, this is a piece, uh, one of the early ones from a first-time producer. We have a lot of first-time producers on Transom. This is uh, Jonathan Menjivar, and he's here. Is Jonathan here? Oh, good. Uh, and this is just a little teeny excerpt. He accompanied, uh, well, I, I think maybe I intro this on the, these are, it's a short excerpt and we maybe even made some edits. It's cut uh, seven. Maybe put the page up. Jonathan Menjivar had never produced a radio piece before. He took a transom tape recorder with him to follow Neil Pollock. On his unorthodox book tour, Pollock writes parodies, and his was the first book published by McSweeney's Press. And his tour went to punk bars, weightlifting arenas, hotel rooms in Vegas, and his parents' house. He sold books from the trunk of his car. Some people get his jokes, some don't.
4: Poetry! 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 Is not... A hamburger, you can't order it without onions or eat it in your car with your radio tuned to the music of the barrio where hot pan chulos wait outside the bodega tapping their feet to the endless ritmo of the junkie-filled ambulancias.
5: Watching the faces of the crowd, it's hard to tell whether they get it or not. An informal survey taken by Applause earlier indicated a little under half of the 20 or so people seated in the room are here to see Neil. But it doesn't really matter. People are laughing, and it seems enough to keep Neil going.
4: America is a sucker's bet and a drunkard's dream. It is a poem written hurriedly in Golden Gate Park, on a book tour.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that was from Neil Pollack's book tour. Uh, well, Jonathan, do you want to maybe get up to the mic? And ma- uh, this piece had, you know, we, we also posted our, the whole email exchange between Jonathan and myself, our editorial processes on the site, so you can go back and kind of see how we, uh, how we communicated over how to do the thing to begin with and then the different choices that were made and then the piece is episodic. We have sidebars, you know, Internet-y stuff.
5: Um, I think just the most amazing thing about Transom was the ability that it gave me to, to learn how to do this stuff. I, I had a tape recorder. I would pushed record on it before, but I had no idea how to do anything at all. And um, the whole thing came together really quickly. I, I, I had an idea and sent Jay a pitch, and within a day he got back to me, shockingly, and, um, and was really supportive throughout the whole thing, and pushing me to do something different as well because I had sort of conceived the piece to be like a short arts feature for maybe A T C or something. And um, he kept pushing me to just be with Neil as much as possible and I ended up being with him for an entire week. This is the first story I ever done. I had twenty three hours of tape when I was done. Oh. And it was it was crazy and and but I then had the opportunity opportunity to, to learn how to do everything. I downloaded Pro Tools Free, and learn how to do it with Write J whenever I, I hit a wall on something. Help. And yeah, yeah. I asked for help a lot, and then I screwed up a lot.
3: Now and we have wonderful Pro Tools Free uh, tutorials on chance. Right, transit. right. They're great. But um, Jeff Town, our tech director. Go ahead. But
5: it, it was just an, an incredible learning experience Through, throughout the whole time. I mean, there's the behind-the-scenes thing, I guess, that people should know as well, especially people who want to contribute stuff. That Jay is there to help a lot, and mm, well, uh, no, you were, and it. Um, I, I, was a, I was able to, to, put a get, to put together a story, and to learn how to do it, and to do it completely from my bedroom. All the narration that was done for the story um, was in my bedroom. I was underneath a blanket. Yeah. And, um, and it, it, you know, when I was done, I had a finished piece that actually sounded like it could go somewhere, which is strange.
3: And it got great reaction on the sides. And it was, and it was accepted for broadcast on all things considered, but we uh, – Jonathan went off to Poland, and then we didn't quite. It had to be shortened dramatically because it's quite long here. We just never really got it together, and now we're wondering whether we'll whether we will or not, with the uh, different state of affairs in the world. But Mm -hmm. anyway, yeah. And Jonathan's working on another piece. We look forward to, which I guess will be on transcend. I hope so. so.
1: Um, I'd like to show you all uh, my site as well. Josh is going to go. Thank you. Josh Thanks, used to Josh. work at NPR, so he's very familiar. <laughs> <Shout out. laughs> he's worked everywhere. And uh, one of the challenges, I was talking to Elizabeth um, earlier about the, the challenge, one of the biggest challenges in putting a website up for radio. And she had a very simple answer. Um,
2: oh, on my site? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> For me, the biggest challenge is actually, uh, it seems like it should be an easy thing, to get a picture every week to put up um, to advertise the coming week's show. You would be astounded how much time it takes me to get one picture per mm-hmm. show for, you know, it's, it's, I, I've gone as far as to put cameras in the producer's bags when they go out on a story so that they just snap one picture for me so that I don't have to subsequently spend the next two days um, of my week researching pictures and trying to get copyright okays to put that simple picture on the site. So for me, it's very, it's a very small, very practical thing. It's just, you know, how do I get the simplest additional content on that site every week? And then we have the supplemental problems with, you know, people not being able to listen to their real audio, or crashing their computer, them sending me six emails asking, you know, how, how do I fix this? Help, help and me being somewhat helpless to, to, uh, to assist them with this because I can't, I'm not sitting there with them. I can't necessarily figure out what the situation is on their particular computer, so. Right. Uh,
1: one of my biggest problems is also, wouldn't be obvious unless you were doing it, is uh, the back announce. Um, these pieces air, uh, Along for the Ride is, a, the concept behind it is that I pick a different um, creative person each month and ask them to do a story that they're very passionate about. So not necessarily a personal story, but something um, they're very interested in or very passionate about. And the story always has, they do the interviews, and the story always involves some sort of ride. So you're along for the ride. We go around the country, sort of into taking our microphone to you know different corners of the American landscape. So that's along for the ride. And. Um, one of my biggest problems in having all this great content on the web is getting the editor who's on duty that day or um, the producer to to fully back announce the piece. So a piece will air, and um, usually you hear, um, for more information, go to npr.org. You know, but you want people to know that there's more than just a shot and a regurgitation. You know, an ability. Uh, the possibility of re-listening to the piece, a transcript maybe. So you want to say, for you know, for that recipe, you know, and of, of that punk rock quiz, and more information about her, or something that will really draw them. So that was a big challenge for me: was first getting them to um, back announce more extensively, and then figuring, trying to figure out how you. Uh, you pull people to the web because people say that the radio is a push medium. It's, you can be passive. You can um, you, you just receive. You can be a, a captive audience member. But on the web, you really people aren't going to go. You really have to pull them there. So my language had to start to change, and I had to promote the heck out of things. And even going to the site, you have to convince people to click on the real audio button. So I really had to develop a different way of uh, writing, of promoting. Um, quickly um, a radio piece. So this is, a, he's just flipping through. This is the, uh, we haven't actually aired since, since September 11th, um, because all of these are feature pieces that aren't related to, you know, clearly aren't related to September 11th. Um, this one hasn't aired yet. Paisley Rekdal is a poet who um, has lived in a city all her life, different cities, New York, Seattle, she's from Seattle, and got, because she's a poet, when she got a job to teach at the University of Wyoming in poetry, she had to take it. So she ended up in Laramie, Wyoming. Um, She's very afraid of survival in the wild. She's very city um, aware, and she she has those skills, but she had no idea how she'd survive, so she decided to enlist a man by the name of Mark Jenkins um, to teach her how to survive. He'd lived in Wyoming all his life. He writes a column called the hard way for Outside Magazine, and uh, he taught her some survival skills, and she went out kind of a Blair Witch, except, sh- you know, she didn't die, um, with <laughs> with You've a tape recorder.
6: Kind of relationship built into your head between the outdoors
7: and discomfort. Well, I
1: think it's a pretty natural one. Wouldn't it be? I, mean, yeah, I mean, I don't think I'm not <laughs> There's
8: no porcelain. There's no feather bags. There's no yeah, I mean there's, there's no so the everything yet, you have, but There's
1: a lot of additional audio about survival, about um survival in the wilderness as a woman, about their these people were just from different planets in terms of um you know, Mark Jenkins likes to scale um, mountains in the dark because it's too easy in the daytime. <laughs> so um and she, you know, Paisley's biggest fear is uh, in the wilderness and in the city is men. You know, that what men can do to women. So, um, so that's the piece. But there are a lot, as Josh is showing you, there are a lot of additional pages. And some of them, um, when creating them, basically I form the pages around what extra audio I have, what additional audio I have, a lot of great stuff, which is very hard to put into um, a watsy uh, weekend all things considered format or a new show format um, because it 's too long to introduce or something um, works really well on the web. You can just write something up, people are clicking while they 're listening to it, and they they 'll listen they don 't fret. Um, another way that we that I develop content for along for the ride you know with the material. Um, differently than I would have for radio, is to always bring a camera. And it, it's wonderful. I mean, it was interesting to me that Elizabeth had a hard time getting pictures because oftentimes if you work for a bigger organization, departments are so separate that um, the same person who's taking the pictures isn't the person who's doing the story, and there's, there isn't a coherent vision on the site. So um, that, that's been a really wonderful thing for me to be able to... Um, do it all so that there's one vision. I'd like to play for you um, a piece that we did that's on the site and it also aired, it's actually the Michelle Saros one. Um, If you can go to the archives. Because this is what you would hear on the radio and then at the end of the piece, I'm not gonna play it to the end, um, you could, we would say, hear more about this, that, and that, and um, Michelle's relationship with Judy Bloom. You know, just you can go in a million tangents. We'd say that at the end of the piece, but this is what you'd hear uh, first. This is a, a piece. <laughs> I, I just remember that Lisa Simiani's introduction is not on here
9: about um, Michelle Seros. I met my new friend Amilcar at a bookstore on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. This is about Michelle
1: moving from L.A., where she's lived all her life, to New York. And uh, in L.A., you know, American food is uh, mole and tacos. And it's, it's just so plentiful that you don't even think of yourself of being in an ethnic minority. And she moves to New York and is surrounded by Dominicans. And uh, very few Mexicans are very few Mexican restaurants. So this is a piece about finding herself in the unlikely position of uh, searching for home by searching for mole. So here she is with a friend of hers who's a uh, Mexican punk rocker.
9: I met my new friend Amilcar at a bookstore on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. I noticed he was buying a metal maniacs magazine and as a young girl, hard rock and metal was just about all I listened to. Amilcar's Mexican. He's also a musician. Besides belting out rancheros at local restaurants and cultural venues, he plays drums in a punk rock band called Guasiponco. Mm
5: -hmm.
9: Amilcar lives in my neighborhood of Washington Heights, an uptown area of Manhattan populated by working-class Dominican families. The soundtrack of Spanish is spoken with a slightly different accent than I'm used to, and the corn tortillas, sadly enough, are found crammed stiff between Caribbean condiments in the frozen food section. So I have to say that it was pretty cool to meet someone from my new neighborhood who noticed these same differences. So, Milka, when did you come here to New York?
3: September
10: 28, 1998. You miss Mexico, huh? I can't wait to go back.
9: When Amilcar told me he was also a chef at a Latino restaurant downtown, I asked him about mole. That's one of the things I miss about California, the mole. You can find that chili chocolate sauce in just about any Mexican restaurant in the Southwest. Amilcar said that his mother's mole was his favorite, but there are a few places in the city that serve fairly traditional mole. He invited me to dinner at Mi Mexico on Broadway that's near one
11: twenty-four.
9: one of the last times I had mole was actually at my wedding we had the mole, we got the paste and we added peanuts and then we added chocolate the uh, Ibarra chocolate
10: we use almonds and we didn't use Ibarra chocolate, we use homemade chocolate that we used to buy in the little store across the street from my house.
9: Look at me, I'm thinking like, oh, we're using Mexican chocolate, like it's no. so authentic. I'm
10: not saying Ibarra is not Mexic- no Mexican, Ibarra is really good, sometimes my mother used that or, or Abuelita, yeah. which is a little better than Ibarra.
9: You think Abuelita is better than Ibarra?
10: Abuelita is my favorite.
9: At this point, I'm feeling a little self-conscious. The type of molé my mother made was straight out of a jar, a brand called Dona Maria. As a working mom with two jobs and evening classes, she grabbed just about anything that was store-bought and easy to prepare. A milker's mother makes molé in the more traditional manner, including the lengthy process of grinding almonds, chili pepper, and chocolate into a paste. She also blends in bread and plantains. If we blindfolded you and we had, like, say, homemade molé, and then one side was Doña Maria Mole. Oh, you would not know the difference.
10: I know the difference of Doña Maria. Okay.
9: Real.
10: But it's just, that I think the whole difference is that when you eat Doña Maria, you don't have this, this feeling that, oh, you saw it making it.
9: Okay, so when you have it at a restaurant like tonight, are you thinking, oh, this isn't as good because I didn't see it being made? No,
10: but but at least I know they made it here. How do, you know?
9: How do you know they're not opening a can of Doña Maria back there?
10: Doña Maria is not that spicy
9: but how do you know they don't open Doña Maria and throw some spices? It doesn't have the color. Doña Maria is pale. It's a lighter it's a lighter shade of brown.
11: Paper.
9: Lighter shade of brown.
1: Yes. <laughs> it's the name of a man. So that's just the beginning of the piece, um, and that is actually the piece that, as it aired on all things considered, there are about five more minutes, she sort of decides to cook for him and goes around and looking for her brand of mole, and there's a nice surprise ending. Um, but clearly from that, that's just, there There are so many ways. Michelle is such an interesting um, character, and the thing that was is so, the reason that the web is the perfect space for Along for the Ride, or Along for the Ride is a great concept for the web, is that every show there's a new person in the driver's seat. Um, and the, the only theme holding all of the content together is that person. And so they're allowed to be sort of complex. You know, if you look, if you scroll down, Josh, on the Michelle Seros page, on the, could you go back to the thing? Um, if you, could you scroll down? You've got, uh, she did interviews with, actually, that's one of the things I'm most proud of. She did interviews. Um, with chefs, um, Mexican chefs who had never made mole until they came here, and Americans wanted to eat it. You know? <laughs> so uh, really interesting. And, and those interviews are all in Spanish, and I, I, I understand Spanish, so I mix them all in Spanish. Um, there's a lot. There's they're bilingual. This whole Michelle Cerro's part is bilingual, um, and Emilcar, who's a very likable punkster, who's. Um, who grew up on Pedro Infante but got really into um, English punk music, um, has a real range of influences on his uh, repertoire as a musician. So he gave his great list of um, of favorite hits that really ranged from these, you know, Mexican punk rock bands that I hadn't heard of to stuff his father listened to. So these are the kinds of things that – we use, I use, to pull people to the web, because people like it's. We're living in the David Letterman era, you know. People like on the web; they like quick, and they like easy, and they they like to get some information. The list of books, the list of um, cheeses, the recipe. So all of that is there. And one part that's been of the site that's been very successful in terms of giving people those bits. Uh, that appeal to their attention span on the web is the Culture Hound section, where we ask all of our guests um, to answer the survey, uh, to fill out the survey of just lots and lots of questions about, you know, their favorite books, uh, what their tombstone st- would say, um, what would the soundtrack of their life be, and you know, John Langford the. Um, the head of the Mekons, who's a, a Welshman uh, who, who heads a punk band, um, the soundtrack of his life was he named three um, uh, Tom Jones songs, you know, What's New Cat," and all the others. So, so just everyone answers the questions in ways that are very particular, that reveal a lot. Their interests and their answers reveal a lot about them through their interests. So it's not a me, 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 I was born here. It's I'm... I'm showing you the culture through my eyes. You usually see it through um, a host's eyes or through a reporter's eyes when you're listening to radio, Um, but I'm showing it to you through my eyes, and you'll learn a a lot about me by listening to this music. So um, I realize I'm not talking about audio right now, but um, it's not just audio when it's on the web. You know, people don't stay for that. So... Uh, can you guys talk a bit more about some of the ways, the ways in which audio is really different on the web? Because that piece was not different, although other bits, like the one in Spanish, could not air on NPR, for example.
3: The thing I like about it is that, um, y- you know, we were talking at this museum event we did in New York a couple nights ago about how when you approach a, a, any documentary or any work, you approach it the way – uh, a sculptor looks at a stone. In other words, the stone tells him what to do. And the, the radio piece you end up with is uh, you, you uh, it tells the story of the stone. The problem with radio is that you, have to, you, you try to honor that stone and create the story you want, and it has to sound like all things considered, or and it has to fit on this American life. So you're, you're not truly able to create and to craft to really listen to what your material says and tell the story exactly the way you want to because you're always thinking of venue. And uh, the problem with the problem and advantage to style is, uh, say, you know, I mean, Ira Glass has a wonderful style to his show, and it's a- identifying, and it's, and it's quite broad. It can accommodate a lot, but it can't accommodate everything. The web can accommodate everything. You can speak in any way because it has no style. So when we uh, are able to, you know, search for stuff on Transom, what I'm looking for are things that are at the edge of style that proclaim new ways of talking that don't fit. I mean, the, really, instead of each week saying, geez, I need to, we need to build our identity, you know, we need to see who, who are we? What do we sound like? I don't think that way. I think what do we, what have we never heard before? How can you know? How can we try to sound different, you know? And it's not always easy. I mean, we often do end up sounding kind of the same. I mean, it really, once you break that wall and say, hey, we can wander outside the fence, you know, it, it's, people are a little reluctant to do it because that's, uh, you know, that's where creativity is and adventure. Um, the other thing I'd say that's great about the web is, uh, do I have to, can I play another little excerpt because I've got somebody else here in the room, uh, is um, that you can bring it all together. Like, we can find somebody who has a piece. Is Paul McCarthy here and Alana? These are students from Brown University. Alana, are you here? Oh, good. Uh, Who got together and put on their own radio show, which aired almost weekly. student-run. The faculty in school didn't encourage it. Uh, They just did it on their own called Inside Out. and And so we were able to feature some pieces from their material on our site, then drive traffic to their site, uh, and you know, it sort of forms a little bit of a larger community, which is the other thing the internet can do. Or, or this American Life has its bulletin boards on transom. So, so we're kind of hooked up, and that community comes over and plays in our yard, and and uh, and so you can kind of expand this universe of uh, of people who are thinking and creating and reacting. And maybe we can play Alana's piece. And this is another thing. A lot of times on transom, we'll have like we'll have more than one cut of a piece. Uh, so that, and our philosophy is: we we always give editorial advice, but you don't have to take it, because uh, we don't want to, again, we don't want to make it sound like us. Uh, and then in the bulletin boards, the listeners, will, and then we, but we say, you don't have to take this advice. We're going to talk about process and decision making, and uh, and so you will ultimately have a chance to be answerable for the decisions you make. So. Uh, this is uh, cut number five from Alana Berkowitz, who's here. Maybe, you, Alana, afterwards you can say anything you want to say. Paul McCarthy, while he was at Brown University, organized a student-run radio show called Inside Out, inspired in part by This American Life. Transom featured several of the student pieces, including this one from Alana Berkowitz about a Rhode Island institution, Spooky World.
11: I play the mouse girl. Um, What I do is I lay in a plexiglass uh, fronted sort of a room with about 200 mice that run over me. I I try to appear as close to death as possible. Actually my first couple years I used to call out for mommy um, and that was nice and disturbing. Scaring the pee out of someone is the best feeling I could ever have. I would I would do it for free. It, it doesn't really bother me having them having them on me. Um, I'm not very ticklish, so the excrement is probably the worst part. But it's I'm washable, so it's not that big of a deal for me. My my mother is really proud of me. She basically said, this is what every mother wants, for their kid to go to work and be happy.
3: That was from Spooky World by Alana Berkowitz. <laughs> Alana's here. <laughs> she was profiling people, you know, just it was a, j- portraits of people's jobs. There were several of them who worked at Spooky World there.
10: Yeah, she was the funniest. though. Yeah. Um, yeah, being on the site was really great. This was the first piece that I ever did. Closer okay, this is the first piece that I ever did, and um, I actually started in radio because Paul was like, hey, I'm doing this show, and do you want to do something? And and actually, I learned to use Pro Tools the day before this went on the air, because we did it that night, um, and what had happened is I was really obsessed with Halloween, because I wasn't allowed to celebrate it, because my family's religious, so I always sort of tracked Halloween trends and got really overexcited about it, and I went like seven, eight, nine times, and I got to know everyone by name, and it was it was it was really excellent and actually i I finished the piece before I, I had ever been in contact with Jake because I actually didn't know what it was and then Paul's like, surprise it's up and I wasn't quite sure what it was, but it was it was now I do um but it was really amazing because the feedback everyone on our show is really young and Paul and I were the oldest two people working on the show and so even though it was a really amazing forum, there was a point at which it was hard for us to help each other because all of us had been very influenced by the things that came before us and all of us were really trying to find our own voices, which we all still are. And so being able to get feedback from really amazing people um, and people people from all over the place through that forum was really great. And it was also nice because using the Internet for feedback as opposed to just doing it in person, I think it gave people time to think and be a little bit more thoughtful and to give um, you know different sorts of responses. And even just having Jay do a cut of my stuff because my first, if you listen to the whole thing, it's super long and kind of, you know, a little bit clunky. And and seeing someone else, you know, do something with all of my tape, which you obviously couldn't do, have both versions on the radio, was really amazing because it gave me a whole new way of thinking about how to do it. So it was really cool. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Yeah, Thanks. But that thing of having the multiple versions and seeing the organic process and seeing different production choices, I mean, you know, it's, it's for zealots only, but, you know, they're at, we're out there.
1: Um, the Of course, the web, as Jay was saying, is one of the most exciting things is, for example, that piece in Spanish. I would never have made it. I would never have bothered to mix it if there wasn't a place for it. Um, so I'm wondering about all of your questions, but also about... Uh, Other websites you can recommend where people will put up your audio. We've got Transom. You can pitch a piece to Ira, and maybe I'll get on. Yes. Go ahead. Yes, please. (coughs) And any other questions?
8: Hi, I'm Wendy Butler from KHSU in Arcata, Eureka, California, and. <laughs> oh, that threw me off. Okay, um, we're in the process of moving from Cool Edit to Pro Tools and uh, things that I barely understand, which I'm, I am doing. Where you know, cutting and pasting and editing our audio. You know, you can see the sound right in front of you on the screen, and then you send it to the on-air booth and all of that. Things I've been thinking about. For I don't know the past several months, especially after the last two days at this conference about radio, um, I don't. You don't have to. I don't even know how you can approach any of these questions. But here, are, here are my questions, comments. Um, the idea of having. I know it open I know having the web it opens up. The. Uh, floor for so many persons who might ordinarily have not known anything about public radio and its usefulness, its importance. However, and, and I know very little, I mean, I've listened before, but I don't pull it up daily. I'm wondering about scrolling down and clicking and all the information that you have on websites. And then next to it you have radio. People, just yesterday somebody was talking about, and I think it was beautifully put, about radio. The idea that we create pictures. We listen to radio, we close our eyes and we create pictures. That's why radio is not an endangered species. That's why there's a reason to nurture it. And so I'm wondering about this isn't really, for me it isn't radio, it's a new discipline, almost, or a new medium, you know, the enhancing the audio with this the new technology. So I'm wondering about enhancing or detracting, scrolling, clicking, and then listening. Yeah, about that. Well, that you know, I, I think that probably, personally, I would rather not have so much information. I want to work on, as a producer, On creating something that can envelop you while you're closing your eyes and while you're listening. And the second thing, uh, well, can you you know turning off the this picture and listening, which is related to what I just said. And the third thing is is um, is just to educate me better how it does enhance the role of public radio in our, in our society, how the web will enhance it and will help nurture it and it won't change it, it's, it as a medium.
2: I can, I can maybe address that last question very quickly. It's, for me, it goes back to the fan model. If, 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 you, if you listened to This American Life and you liked This American Life, you could go to the website and you could get even more excited about This American Life because all of a sudden you have 190 shows that you can listen to and you can tell your friends about it. And they don't have to listen on a Saturday afternoon. They can just go to the website and they can listen anytime. They can also forward the emails, the weekly email that I send out announcing what's going to be on the show about next week and they can forward that to their friends. So I think it does help to generate enthusiasm and it, it you, you, when, when you've got all that information in front of you, if you're a fan, it's almost you become even more of a fan because there's so much there to keep you excited and keep you interested. And I think that that does help public radio generally because to get somebody interested and involved in public radio for the first time, they listen to This American Life, they might go to Transom and they'll find out more about you know, the other things that are going on. They can find out how they can contribute and how they can get onto a public radio show and do the same thing.
3: Yeah, that would be the idea, to take the best fans and make them practitioners. I mean, if Elizabeth's the fan model, we're the school model. And uh, we're trying to teach ourselves and share knowledge among ourselves. We're already in it, and then we're trying to sucker other people.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and in the case of Along for the Ride, people come to the site because they've listened to pieces. So they've already had that in their car, no visuals experience, and they want more. I don't know if that answers it. We didn't answer your your tech question and I, I can't answer
3: <laughs> I mean the thing I don't like about internet audio is the non accidental nature of it you have to, you have to be intentional. Yeah. you have to seek it out you have to you, you go to it and you make a choice and what I like is the ambush quality of radio and that you hear something you never expect to I'll never stop liking that mm-hmm. uh, and I don't really like at 288, how real audio sounds. So, but but you know, it's it's what we got, and it's useful, and it's a tool, and we're using it. I there's no replacement here. It's just it's an ancillary thing. It's another way to get the job done.
2: There's also there's something I want to mention very quickly. There's there's a site that um, that my husband and I ran into probably about a week ago. It's it's called ViewFromTheGround.org, and it's it's very very simple, but it's it's a way to sort of. We, we all, we all well, many of us have heard Ira talk about something that, that you just talked about, the, the idea that radio envelops you and you create images based on what you hear on the radio. Um, view from the Ground sort of takes it and turns it backwards in some cases. If you go up to the archives and click on Sylvia's Wrap, in this case, the, this, this site doesn't use audio throughout, but it, it uses it occasionally. It's a, it's a site that's put together by an organization that's trying to ensure that there's enough public housing for people in Chicago as these high-rise buildings are taken down, the high-rise projects in Chicago. And in this case, you see Sylvia's picture. You see her first. You can read about her. And the text is very very sweet. She's, um, she's put together a rap to help her remember the preamble. So you see her first. You read about her. And then you can listen to her. It's almost turning the model around. And for me, this really works well. If you want to click on the, the real audio there.
3: Remember, you can always turn your screen off while you listen.
2: This site actually takes a while for the real audio to come up. We,
9: the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States of America.
1: in terms of extending the audience as well, obviously a lot of, as we have been saying, a lot of this um, stuff wouldn't get on the radio. So the, one, the the piece in Spanish, I mean, I know there are a lot of people who can't listen to real audio on their computers, but your question.
7: Hi. <clears throat> Excuse me. I wanted actually to respond to the technical issues that you brought up, and the reason is, is that I have a website called digitaldocumentary.org, which is designed to make new media documentaries that are not radio, they're audio-driven, but they're created specifically for the Internet, and they're created specifically to suit the technical medium of the web, the technical abilities, and also the way people use the web, meaning they have a visual element to them, and they're designed for people to click through them, and they're made accessible to people on low-bandwidth connections. And I don't know if there's time to look at it, but...
3: That's Ian Aronson. He's... Ian's had his work featured on transom also.
7: Um, If you could actually, this uses flash media. If you could click.
4: My gut feeling was, you know, I was laid off from my job. Is this something I even want to include on my resume? How are people going to read into it? He's four, and he's
6: like, why did those policemen shoot that man?
4: Brown. Like Bob
7: this is a site, this is a documentary about a biracial family raising their first child in New York City. And it's made to be interactive, it's made to click through. So go ahead, let me Fun, because
6: there is that difference,
7: you know, and people like to
6: find out about other people. And I think it's very natural and it's beautiful and it's very cool. And I don't know, there's lots and lots of black women out there who love Italian men, and lots of Italian men who love black women, and you know, why not?
5: I'm
11: so Some reason like all years later I always remembered the very first time that I saw him exactly what he he had on and I wasn't even thinking I mean I was there with another guy and but I still remember. I think one
3: thing that's interesting about Ian's site is he you can you can run this on uh, a low baud rate low tech I mean it it has this nice sheen and this movement and these fades everything but he's designed it to to work very uh, you know low tech on the user end which is which is nice.
1: Um, I want to say also that we have a list, we're collecting a list here of audio-rich sites that you should look at. So we'll post them on Third Coast so you can add to our list. and Remember to go there after the conference. Go ahead. Oh,
4: great. Uh, My name is Keith Porter. I produce uh, Common Ground. We are at commongroundradio.org. We also do a number of specials. We just finished uh, in January the Iran Project, which is at iranproject.org. And in December we're releasing two hours on Russia called russiaproject.org. And one of the things that we've tried with the Russia Project addresses this thing on photos. It is difficult to get them, and uh, one of the elements of the program will be a look back at the lives, how people's lives have changed over the course of 10 years since the end of the Soviet Union. And uh, of all the people we profiled, we gave each of them a disposable camera uh, in Russia and one in the Ukraine as well and uh, ask them just to take pictures of their everyday life. And out of, you know, 18 or 24 photos, you'll get, you know, one or two at least that are, that are usable. And the resolution is fine because the web resolution is not as good anyway. So uh, the, it's a great idea. We got great photos back from these people and they really took pictures of things that were really important to them. And then we asked them to explain why they're important. And you'll see those on the website when that's done. Um, I did have a question for you. One of the things we're facing right now is uh, we sent a producer and a correspondent to Ingushetia to visit Chechen refugees in the camps there for one of the segments. And we they came back with good pictures also, and those will be on the website. But one of the photos that I want to use is a photo of the producer and the correspondent in the field. I mean, they're standing there in the camp. Now, we have other photos of the camp that are good photos, and, I, and there, there's no argument there. The people who are coming at this from sort of the web point of view are saying, well, why do we need that photo of the producer and the correspondent? It doesn't really add anything to the story. It doesn't tell you any, the the visitor anything more uh, about the story. I, on the other hand, say that you know it's radio is an intimate medium, and I think that the people who listen to it might like to see that picture. I mean, I don't know, and then I'm not even one of them. Yet the web people say that it's you know sort of vanity to put the photo up. So I just wanted to get your opinion on using a photo like that.
3: We put them in a bio section, and people can go there if they want. If they want to see, you know, a staff or about us or bio, and then you know, it's not connected to the story; it's not integral, but it's extra if you want it. I mean,
2: you'd be you'd be surprised at <laughs> how people excited want people to see get over the pictures. correspondent. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I actually, a different case, but with specifically with Sarah Vowell. I get at least, uh, I'm not kidding, at least 40 to 50 emails every week that ask me to put a picture of Sarah Bowell up on the website, and she has asked me not to, and I respect that. So I actually had to set up an auto-response on my email that says, <laughs> which, which will send people a little note back explaining that Sarah has asked me not to put a picture of her up on the website. But people want that kind of information. Again, it's, it's the whole thing about being a fan. If you feel connected, you want, it, you want more.
3: You want more information. You can see her picture at transom.
11: Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering
2: about that, Jay. i think
3: that.
2: email to Ms. <coughs> Val and inquire about that. Yep, your question.
12: <laughs> I'm John Miller, and I'm uh, an independent person oh, right. based in Ithaca, New York. Um, sort of a comment masked as a question. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that over the decades, um, the newspapers have, I've, I've been providing news content to NPR for the last many years from overseas, um, and it makes me think about the sort of function of, of radio. Um, one of the, the disadvantages that radio's had for a long time is it can never be a medium of record, um, because if you didn't hear the piece, then it's gone. Uh, so I was gone for 13 years. I didn't hear anything anybody here has done for the last 13 years. Um, and nor has radio then been able to have the, the leverage that the newspaper does, for example, because you can cut it out, you can xerox it, you can put stamp the date on it, you can send it around, you can fax it, and so suddenly um, radio does become a medium of record, where people can have access to important things that people have um, that have spent a lot of time thinking about, and. So here's my question and it's an actual honest question for, for NPR. Does, do you think that the fact that these pieces are now archive, archived and accessible has changed the way um, NPR might view itself as a medium of record? I mean always in competition with the New York Times over who's sort of the, the, uh, right. the medium Can of anyone record. Anyone
1: here from NPR who wants to answer <laughs> that question? I think not. Um, Yeah, because I work in, I do cultural pieces, and they're not today's news necessarily, Um, I'm hoping that those cultural pieces will have greater value on the web, because you won't want to look at yesterday's news Um, unless something historical happened or something huge happened, like September 11th, everyone will be looking, but they won't be interested in the the third week of the O.J. Simpson trials. You know, people will not be listening to that. On the web, so I, I really can't answer. And Jay's not here, I can't answer that question. We can speculate.
3: Can, can I just mention one thing? It's, it's something relating to this one, this arch, archival idea, and the repeatability and the findability of, of radio. Uh, one of the projects that we're most excited about now at Atlantic Public Media is uh, called the Radio Exchange, which we're doing with SRG. And uh, Tom, would you maybe feel like saying a word or two? I mean, we're. Uh, this is a. Uh, a new concept for using the internet as a way to, uh, uh, to to stream work to stations. Stations will make comfortable homes for this work, or, or the large idea is Stations will have curated hours every week, and they'll use the internet as kind of an a la carte menu to uh, to capture the work uh, and see it reviewed. The curators will review it. it Become an Amazon.com model. It's, it's, there's more to it than that, and you can go to actually. Uh, You can go to radioexchange.org. But do you have anything to add, Tom, about that idea here? Okay. But uh, I urge you to follow it because what I what I think is, in terms of this loop of the internet to radio, it. It feels as though from the energy the idea is getting at the station level that it could sort of revolutionize the way it could short-circuit the way programming works on public radio and producer to station and station to station, and it could reduce gatekeepers, and it can become kind of more of a, a marketplace of the commons. Please, yeah, I'm trying to urge you to.
10: <laughs>
7: because it actually connects with that, that last point about medium of record and extending value through time. I think one of the things that we've all experienced is, is producing a program that just wasn't at the right moment for its maximum exposure, for its best use, for really connecting. The moment passes, and then the right moment comes, but the program is gone.
3: Or word of mouth.
7: And our ability to, to retrieve, to connect as, as stations, as producers, as networks, and take all this great value that we create but then has, has gone uh, to extend that value through time as a way of, of getting so much more out of what's produced has been a missing piece in how all this fits together. And the radio exchange we're hoping will, that will be one of its, its benefits as a way of pieces of audio and content and information to, to span across time and in different applications. Uh, in, in putting this together, we're trying to think of what are the things in our current models of how we get from where radio is created to where it ultimately gets heard and what are the pieces that are missing in that, in the connections between producers and stations and listeners. And, and, and we think something out of all of what's really been talked about here of the, uh, the storage, the retrieval, the findability, the listening in different settings, Um, there's pieces of that that we can can bring together, and we're going to try to make the radio exchange a way to experiment and learn and get more good work in better homes on the air. And
3: I came to this idea not as a producer, but I have founded a couple of radio stations where I live, and uh, we have a four-hour weekly slot that's produced by Vicki Merrick over here that I host. I'm like a you know a documentary DJ or a creative radio DJ, and I just put on we put on different. So lots of times it's an hour show. I just introduce it and let it go. Lots of times it's short pieces. We can do anything we want in there. The trick is figuring it. And what I realized is if I could go to the web and search around and say I need a piece this week, you know, on Halloween, uh, or I you know Jesus, I need to get that whole series on Islam quick, uh, and go to the radio exchange. And click on it and download it, and then I just curate it into my slot. You know, that could be, you know, I mean, that's a really responsive radio station that can act that way, and it's a tremendous use of producer talent. You know, ultimately it could end up being a commerce site where you set up an account. A producer has an account. The stations have an account. There's an exchange. You debit and credit. You know, so there could be, you know, the producers can set their own rights and fees. It's pretty interesting. Check it out, radioexchange.org.
10: I had a question about whether you see in the future, because right now it seems like most um, websites for radio shows, you know, with some notable exceptions, who some of whom are sitting up here, are largely, you know, websites very much for the radio show, fan sites for the radio show. And the truth is, there's no alteration to much of the audio that was on on the actual show. And I think that that's interesting and sometimes problematic, because most people don't tend to listen to web audio for more than a minute. And um, I got to work with the wonderful people. This website, 360degrees.org, which everyone should look at. It's an no, audio-based see. documentary. I don't we know if they should have the... some of
1: their postcards. Oh, cool!
10: Answers. I was about to say I don't know if they're on the list. Um, and when I was working with them, they taught me, you know, how to edit, you know, amazing stories. If, if I was doing it for a radio show, I'd probably keep it like 10 minutes to a minute and a half or two minutes. And it seems like I wonder. You know, and to keep people who generally aren't, like, huge This American Life fans or huge NPR fans, people need to be making websites that are looking at more than that fan base. And I wonder if that's something that you you actually see NPR shows possibly putting the effort into or if that could be something that's going to
1: happen. Well, um, the idea behind Along for the Rider, one of the things that we hoped would happen was that we'd be able to um, extend our audience and appeal to younger listeners. Um, so people who we thought weren't listening to Weekend, All Things Considered, who would not go to the, um, listen to the show and then be drawn to the site. So those are the people who, gosh, there's this great Mexican uh, punk piece, you know, email it to your friend and tell them where it is. So we've tried to keep, even though the piece that's for radio, a lot of people want to, they didn't catch the end of it, they want to listen to that piece that was done for the radio. Um, there's a lot of audio on the site uh, that's that is only on the site, and that stays at about two minutes long each piece. And it's challenging because you don't have as much control over how people listen. You know, sort of the narrative flow of how they're listening to the pieces.
2: I I really admire people who are trying to do something different with all of this, but the the problem that The problems that I see with it are that that a lot of folks, even something as simple as flash, there there are plenty of folks that cannot get real audio working on their computer. So when you take it up a notch and you start creating things that um, that require flash on on people's computers, that's another level that people have to get through. And it seems simple, but it's not always that simple. And we were talking earlier about um, the numbers game and how you have to justify everything with numbers. If even if the content's great, if people can't see it, they're not going to go to it. And if they don't go to it, you can't get funding to continue it. So, And that's that's something that I think a lot of people are facing right now, as they go to CPB and other organizations for funding. Can last question. This will be the last question, yeah.
6: I'd like to share something I do, um, and I've not talked to anyone um, that does the same thing. But... On my computer, I put a Y adapter into the speaker jack on the computer, and then two cables or two cords. One goes to the speakers; the other goes to my Walkman. And I use a male male adapter, a male adapter on each um, cord coming from the Y adapter to the Walkman. A power source to the Walkman. Use 60-minute tapes or 120-minute tapes, and I can tape. Um, You know, just turn on the real audio, turn the Walkman on, tape an hour, and I can come back in an hour or two and then put that in the car Mm -hmm. or listen to it in my my Walkman. Mm
5: -hmm.
3: Wow. Can I just Very mention creative. one really quickly one other thing we're doing at Transom, which is a section called The Days That Follow, which we started right after the 11th. Right. And we've been gathering well, what we say we're looking for is creative and useful audio evidence. And we'll be working with the Kitchen Sisters and a lot of other people, and we're building a timeline. And so if you have material that you think has lasting value or if you know of it, it's a, it's a repository for that. Uh, Sure,
5: yeah.
3: Oh, yeah, this is a new design. It's not on the site yet, but Josh did this. This is Josh Barlow here, by the way, who does the the transom site. That's all that I want to say. Yeah. For yeah. Thanks that's, that's for coming,
1: you guys. And please come up and uh, uh, get little postcards of 360 Degrees, which is a great site that I think is pointing towards the future. And um, give me any website addresses you think should go on the Third
8: Coast page. That will be informative for you all. Thanks.